Welcome to our Catechism class. It's a weekly look at the Heidelberg Catechism to help you learn Christian doctrine with a warm and practical application. Each lesson has its own study guide, and the web link to find that guide can be found in the episode notes. Okay, let's start the lesson. So welcome to our Catechism class. We're going to talk about justification, and this is part three of this little series on justification. It's a really important doctrine, a doctrine we should try our hardest to understand. The Catechist deals with justification over three questions in Lord's Day 23, and we've already covered the first two of those. Let's summarize. In question 59, we learned what justification is and why we need to be justified before God. We discovered that all of us are sinners. We have all fallen short of God's standards. We have all broken his law. And because God is righteous, we must be banished from his presence. We must be punished, or God would not be just. But God's justice, we learned, was satisfied by Jesus, who was sinless, and who took the punishment for our sins, the fine, if you like, that we deserved, setting us free from our guilt, so that the wrath of God upon sin is assuaged. But not only did he take our sins upon the cross, he also gave us who are his, his righteousness. God has imputed Christ's righteousness to us. So Second Corinthians 5 and 21, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So right now we are in Christ. We have been made heirs of eternal life, and that transfer of righteousness is not an infusion we learned, but it's an imputation. It is a legal matter, a legal transfer of Christ's merit from his account to ours. In question 60, we learn two more important truths. We learn that while our sins are forgiven and we are considered by God to be righteous in Christ, yet we do not cease to sin. In fact, we remain sinners right up until the day we die. But we have a new nature. We have a new birth. So that when we sin, we regret that sin and we mourn over that sin. We grieve over it and we repent of it before the Lord knowing that all our sins have been forgiven at the cross. We called that simul justus et peccator, a phrase used by Martin Luther, and it means we are simultaneously sinners and justified saints. Our second lesson in question 60 was that the righteousness that we obtain from Christ is not from within us. It is external to us. So we called it alien righteousness. We learn from that the very practical lessons that we do not seek any inner strength or look for some inner light to guide us. And we learn that we should not trust our feelings, but that we should always rely on the Word of God, the external truth that points us to Christ. Now we arrive at question 61, and the Catechist asks us this, Why do you say, that you are righteous only by faith? The answer we must give is, 
Not that I am acceptable to God on account of the worthiness of my faith, for only the satisfaction, righteousness and holiness of Christ is my righteousness before God. I can receive this righteousness and make it my own by faith only. So in this, our last look at the doctrine of justification for now, we look at two more important truths. Firstly, an answer to what we might call fideism, the erroneous belief in having faith in my faith. And secondly, one of those famous solas of the Reformation, sola fides, salvation by faith alone. I'm Bob McAvoy. And you're listening to the Semper Reformata podcast. Our instructor admits that he is not acceptable to God on account of the worthiness of his faith. There certainly are in some branches of Christendom beliefs that you must work up faith within you, that your salvation is some kind of a reward for the faith that you have in God. That, for example, if you have prayed for healing and that healing has not come, that the reason for your continuing sickness is your own lack of faith. Now, our instructor in the Catechism will have none of that at all. He teaches us that I do not have within me the faith that I need to appropriate salvation, rather that it is granted to us by God at conversion to enable us to take God's provision for us in Christ. So Paul wrote in Ephesians 2 and verse 8, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, It is the gift of God. Let's sort this out then. My faith does not make me acceptable to God. God does not save me because I am a man of faith. For I cannot in any way earn my salvation or make myself good enough or religious enough or have enough faith even to merit forgiveness. Faith is simply instrumental to my salvation. God saves sinners who have nothing whatsoever to offer him, and he gives them the faith that they need to believe. That God-given faith, then, is the means by which we embrace Christ. So here's Paul again in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 30. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. I can't say I am saved because I am a man of great faith. We don't have faith in our faith. We have faith in Christ. And now we can make sense of our instructor's admission when he says not that I am acceptable to God on account of the worthiness of my faith, For only the satisfaction and righteousness and holiness of Christ is my righteousness before God. Let's pause here for a wee moment. I think this would be an appropriate time to worship God. 
and we're going to do so in the words of Psalm 25, verse 5 to 8. Your tender mercies, Lord, remembered let them be, and loving kindnesses, for they are from eternity. My sins and faults of youth, O Lord, will you forget. With tender mercy think of me, and for your goodness great. Psalm 25, verse 5 to 8, and the tune is Leo Minster. Let's move on now to our second and perhaps more important truth contained in this question. Years ago, I watched an old black and white reel-to-reel film on the life of Martin Luther. And there was a scene in the film where Luther was reading and teaching through the Book of Romans. He was, of course, at that time a monk and a theologian, but he was a man deeply troubled about his own soul. He fought hard to find peace with God. He worked to be right in the sight of his Creator, but nothing that he did could bring peace to his troubled soul. Martin Luther had taken vows. He'd entered the monastery. He'd completed hours and hours of religious exercises. He'd visited Rome and crawled up the steps of St. Peter's Cathedral on his hands and knees, but nothing, no religious works, could ever satisfy the emptiness of his soul could ever assuage his conscience or remove the deep guilt and the condemnation that he knew was his. And the terror of his eventual doom when he knew that he would stand before God at Judgment Day. But Martin Luther was reading Romans and he came to Romans chapter 1 and verse 17 and he read these words. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. In the movie, Luther lifts his pen and he writes in the margin of his Bible the word alone. The just shall live by faith alone. And that's what we learn in this second part of question 61 that the just shall live by faith alone. The Catechist teaches us, I can receive this righteousness and make it my own by faith only. And that became one of the pillars of the Reformation, the redeclaration of the New Testament's teaching that salvation is by grace through faith alone, with no possibility or need for any works on our part. Needless to say, Luther's teaching on justification by faith alone brought him into further conflict with the Catholic Church. The Catholic reaction to the Reformation was the Council of Trent, 
which in 1547 issued a statement on justification. Here's what the Catholic Church decreed in Canon 9. If anyone says that the sinner is justified by faith alone, meaning that nothing else is required to cooperate in order to obtain the grace of justification, and that it is not in any way necessary that he be prepared and disposed by the action of his own will, let him be anathema. Now, in that one statement, the Catholic Church sets itself squarely against the biblical doctrine of justification by faith. I think that R.C. Sproul could explain this much better than me. So I'm going to quote him in closing. Sproul wrote, Many issues were involved in the Reformation, but the core matter, the material issue of the Reformation, was the gospel, especially the doctrine of justification. All the parties agreed that Jesus was divine, that he was the Son of God and of the Virgin Mary, and that he lived a life of perfect obedience, that he died on the cross, an atoning death, and was raised from the dead. The battle was over the second part of the gospel, the subjective side, the question of how the benefits of Christ are applied to the believer. The Reformers believed and taught that we are justified by faith alone. Faith, they said, is the sole instrumental cause for our justification. By this they meant that we receive all the benefits of Jesus' work through putting our trust in him alone. In reality, the Roman view of the gospel as expressed at Trent was that justification is accomplished through the sacraments. Initially, the recipient must accept and cooperate in baptism by which he receives justifying grace. He retains that grace until he commits a mortal sin. Mortal sin is called mortal because it kills the grace of justification and the sinner must then be justified a second time. And that happens through the sacrament of penance which the Council of Trent defined as a second plank of justification for those who have made shipwreck of their souls. So according to Roman Catholic doctrine, justification depends on a person's sanctification. By contrast, the Reformers said justification is based on the imputation of the righteousness of Jesus. The only ground by which a person can be saved is Jesus' righteousness, which is reckoned to him when he believes. So, R.C. Sproul, a hymn writer, put it like this, My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. The doctrine of justification one of the most important, if not the important, doctrines that we learn in the Heidelberg Catechism, the very ground and basis of the Reformation. Let us grasp it and make sure we understand it. If you have any problems or any questions, do get in touch. You can contact me on the Heidelberg Catechism discussion group in Facebook or you can email me bob at bobmcavoy.co.uk b-o-b at b-o-b-m-c-e-v-o-y dot co dot u-k Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode of the podcast, 
Please help to make it better known by opening the podcast app on your phone or mobile device. Then, search for The Semper Reformata Podcast. Subscribe and give it a 5-star rating. See you next time.